0: And the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening,
1: and now on to the show. I actually didn't like kicking people before, like, before I was 12.
2: Mesdames et Messieurs.
3: The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you today?
2: I am feeling the strong need to kick somebody in the head.
3: <laughs> Good, because today we're talking about Taekwondo, so you're ready to go. Absolutely. <laughs> we are talking Taekwondo today and how the sport works, which is cool because it cross. I think this co- covers like all of the martial arts. We've gotten Judo, we've gotten Taekwondo, and we've gotten Karate. So that's there you go. excellent. We've also talked a little fencing, and we've talked a little wrestling. The only fighting sport I think we have left to actually talk with an athlete about is boxing, which may or may not actually happen. We'll, we'll so make that happen at some point. So no, I meant that boxing may not actually be the way <laughs> True, it's <been> yeah. going. <laughs> well, knock on wood that they're they're making it happen. They keep selling like the boxing tickets keep coming up on CoSport, so they're out there. Okay, knock on wood when referring to boxing.
2: Was that a purposeful I,
3: pun? I, no, you know it. No, it wasn't. <laughs> like, like I think too much when we take. <laughs> anyway, we wanted to share a nice little email we got from our show last week from listener Patrick, Patrick in Green Bay. So last week we had book club where we talked about Munich 1972 and the book is half preparation, a good quarter to a third, the Black September incident, and then the rest is sports. So Patrick said, uh, Hey, Jill and Allison, I actually liked the half of the book regarding the preparation and the process before the Olympics. The part of the book I wanted to skip was terrorism. However, I did go through it and it's just incredibly inept how the authorities handled the situation. Which is true. I mean, it is mind-boggling how badly that incident got bungled and it cost people's lives. Yeah. So
2: Heartbreaking.
3: Yeah. But I'm glad somebody appreciated the preparation bit and you know it was interesting to get that much detail on it i just for me it it was uh could have been told a little differently moving on that's right all right our guest today is madeline gorman shore an american taekwondo athlete who fights at the over 67 kilogram weight class at the 2019 pan am games she took the bronze medal contributor ben jackson and i talked with her about how the sport works take a listen so uh to be uh, very very basic for the fans who are and i have to say i'm kind of in this boat but i'm getting better at it they kind of lump martial arts all into one and don't necessarily know taekwondo from karate from judo so what is different about taekwondo from the other fighting sports
1: taekwondo is mainly about scoring with with kicks and there's an occasional punch but that's like from the referees on the outside to determine there's it's different rules and how you punch is how you score a punch but karate is more like you have like gloves and foot pads we have like chest guard we have headgear we have uh foot guards and everything like that
3: and when you have those guards like how Does that, I I don't want to know if it, does that restrict your mobility or your ability to use like your arms and stuff or?
1: No, I wouldn't say so because we like train with it all the time. Okay. So we're used to it. It restricts any kind of movements or stuff like that.
3: And then do they call it a match? Do they call it a bout or what do they call the the meeting of the
1: two people? Yeah. Match and then you have like three rounds. Okay. So how
3: long, how long is a round? It's two minutes. Two minutes, okay. So you have uh, up to – and if somebody wins the first two rounds, you don't do the third round, do you?
1: It's a point gap. If you are up by 20 points, then you don't do the third round. Okay. But if you're close and whatnot and you're sparring, yeah, you go into a third round. Okay. And you can go fourth round if – and that's only a minute if it's tied at the end of the third, too.
3: Okay. So when you're scoring points, like what is – are they all in one-point increments, or is something worth two points and something really good worth three, or how how does that shake out?
1: So the only one-point technique that you, t- you can do is a punch, and that's for the referees, again, to decide. Otherwise, it's two to the body if you score, um, and then three to the head. And then if any other spinning technique that you do, you just add two to whatever position you hit.
3: Okay. And does it matter where you connect on your opponent?
1: Yeah. Um, it only scores on the body, um, and then, of course, the head, and you have, like, sensors and stuff. So it registers how hard you can kick to the body, and it's just a tap, really, to the head um, to score. Okay.
4: So the headgear and the, and the chest protector have sensors, or is it the, the hand and feet guards that have the sensors, or both?
1: Does the feet have sensors,
4: Oh, okay, okay.
3: And then, do you can you hear that sensor go off? Is that that how they they know? Or
1: kind of like you see the scoreboard and there's like some sound new sound effects too. So it's like a can't even imitate the sound effects. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things when I was I was watching some videos a little bit earlier, when you and your opponent face each other, you kind of light up. So you're side by side. Is that so you like
1: protect your scoring area? Yeah, like in a fighting stance. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. It's uh it's better to be skinny. We call it skinny, rather than face your opponent face on because you can move better and it's not it's harder to score if you're skinny.
3: Okay. That makes sense. It's kind of like fencing to me. That's when, when I saw that I'm like, Oh, it's it looks like fencing how they how they line up and face each other. Yeah.
1: It's really similar to fencing.
3: And taekwondo is a weight class sport. So how is it for you to maintain your weight or to know what weight you want to fight in?
1: I am five eleven, and so I fight with like the heavier girls and okay. and everything. But usually, taekwondo athletes are real skinny and um, they cut weight to get to that. Uh, so they're a taller opponent in that weight division.
3: Oh, okay. That makes sense. So you, it kind of being taller and being at the top end of a weight division gives you more advantage than being maybe at the lower end of a, a weight thing, even though it makes you could make you faster.
1: Yeah, but it really just depends on how you fight, honestly, I think, and how comfortable you are to fight in that division.
3: Okay. So for the Olympics, the weight classes are different than what you would normally compete in, correct? Yeah, yeah there's four weight
1: classes rather than a world-class division.
3: Okay. So did you have to decide to go up or stay in your weight class to be able to compete for the Olympics?
1: Well, we still haven't decided which weight division they're going to take, what USA is going to take. Okay. I could possibly be cutting down to 67 kilograms um, rather than plus 67 kilograms. Like, I have to be below that. Okay. If they that division rather than the heavyweight division. Does that make
3: sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's a tough thing when we were talking with weightlifting, that was another thing for weightlifting as well, where the categories for the Olympics are different from the regular world cup competitive categories. So it's, it's really hard for the athletes to know what to compete at. Yeah, sometimes for sure. So when you talked about, you, you mentioned qualifying for Tokyo, what is the path for you at least to qualify?
1: I definitely have to present medals at high ranking tournaments like Grand Prix or this past Pan Am um, games or Worlds. So yeah, I just have to present medals and'll it's more likely that they'll take a person who has gathered bigger higher up medals rather than a person who's been doing local tournaments or like just opens.
3: Talk to us a little bit about how you got involved in the sport
1: and why you love it. So my demo, my club demo team that they used to have, they came to my elementary school. They did their whole demo thing. And I just was, I just got into taekwondo like that really, I think. So (laughs) I'm I'm not not even, yeah.
4: And and did you stick with it because you really just like kicking people in the head?
1: I actually didn't like kicking people before like before I was 12 so I started when I was seven I for those first like five years I didn't like sparring at all I like doing the forms and um yeah basically just forms and I just grew up and I was like "Uh, I like deciding how I win rather than somebody judging me on how I perform
4: sure
1: so it's more my control yeah
3: Oh, so in Taekwondo do they also in the World Cup competitions do they also have a form competition?
1: Uh yeah, they have like Poomsae Worlds or yeah, forms okay. competitions. Yeah, they have all that.
3: Okay. Ben had just talked to a guy who does karate. So he talked about the yeah. kumite versus kata. I didn't realize that taekwondo also had something similar, but just yeah. called something different. But it's interesting that just the fighting made it to the Olympics.
4: When you are getting ready to go out on the mat and do a match and fight with someone, is it, I'm going to go ahead and, and just get in there and, and get them as fast as possible? Or is there do you try to formulate strategies? Or how do, how do you approach each match that you do?
1: My coach and I, we, de- we uh, develop strategies against whoever I'm fighting, and we pick out what they're really good at, and we- then we decide how to approach that and how my strengths could benefit my uh, time in that ring.
4: Okay. What's it like to step out on that, Matt? I mean, I, I imagine it's got to be fairly intense to-, to do it. What are you thinking when you're out there, or are you not thinking? Is, that- is there no time uh- to think?
1: Uh, I mean, it's definitely nerve-wracking, especially like if you're on a big stage and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's just another person that you're fighting, and you've probably fought against already. Um, you've seen video, or you've, like you've already got a game plan. So uh, usually, I think about like what I'm gonna do, and uh, usually just have that tunnel vision and block out the rest of the arena or whatever.
3: When you're out there, does time kind of slow down and like the movement slows down a bit, and you see stuff a little bit faster than maybe what a spectator would see?
1: Yeah, I, I think so.
4: When you were at the Pan Am Games and you, you took bronze through repassage, right? Yeah. So you had to kind of fight your way back. How do you how do you sort of manage your your emotions and your ability to to hang in there? And be able to fight your way back to that. I mean, that's that can be, I think, in some ways, one of the toughest things to do.
1: Yeah, it was definitely hard. I definitely was expecting to go into the finals, and I lose against Colombia, and I was just devastated. And I went back and tried to calm myself down, and because I knew she was going to go back into the finals, so, so that's how I got in. And yeah, I don't know. I just I kind of had to focus and i came here for a medal at least. So let's go do that. So pull my, right. pull myself,
4: <laughs> when you're training and, and you're preparing for these competitions, how much of it I've seen on Instagram this week, some of the workouts that you guys are doing and, and it looks like they're really running you through the ringer, but how much of it is mental versus it being physical training or does it both kind of just tie in?
1: It's both I think. Um for me right now it's mental. I can do a lot of the physical demanding things that I ask but for mentally it's like you're always in that pressured situation you're always in uh, an, an uncomfortable situation and that's really beneficial when you're in the ring and you're now comfortable being uncomfortable.
4: Okay, sure. What and- what are
3: these workouts? I'm sorry. I haven't I I didn't get to see that. Like what is a what is a really tough workout for you guys?
1: Oh, we had like conditioning the other day. That was tough. <laughs> we did uh, a minute of full on kicking uh, paddles or like each other, and then we would go into a minute of either like blocking off while you're tired, the other person kicking at you, or like a know, like a free afterwards. And then we did, after that, that was like 30 seconds. And then 15 seconds uh, after that, we did like a rep. So we had to do like a spin rep to the body and had to make it quality rather than being all over the place and you're, you know, tired and just, oh, I want to do this. You have to focus again. Yeah.
4: Well, so I have a couple of thoughts that you just sparked in me. But but when you are... are- are training like that and and you talk about the the need for clean technique and you you talked a little bit about like the judges can decide if if a punch scores for example how important is having clean technique in the in the competition versus just making sure that you land the hit so the sensor goes off
1: Um, i would say that clean technique is better than just going through the motions because Having clean technique means that, that your block is there and uh, the angle of your leg is there to, to score better. But, yeah, if you're just going out there trying to do everything possible and just exhausting yourself more than trying to actually like, slow down and actually think about what, how you're going to score.
4: So if someone is watching the sport and they say, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in. We've convinced them, I guess. What is something that they probably don't know that they should keep in mind as they watch?
1: I think they should keep in mind that at the Olympics that there are it's a really big weight separation. So it's like in my division there's it's, it's sixty seven kilograms and up. So I can fight like a two hundred pound person and be you know, one sixty-five here, and that's in like every other weight division too. In between,
4: you know. So, does speed matter? I mean, more or how much? How much does that? It's like easy for me to. Like compared to
3: force, Im- like speed well, versus Well, no, no. It's or- easy for
4: me to imagine in wrestling that 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 weight difference is is huge, but what what does it mean? Because you guys aren't necessarily, maybe I'm wrong, but you're not trying for a knockout. Am I right?
1: I mean, if you get a knockout, it's great. Okay. You're done with with that match. But yeah, I mean, it's more about the speed rather than the knockout from old Taekwondo to new Taekwondo because of the electronic sensors. Like you can gap somebody because you just tapped them to the head.
4: Right. Okay. So it It does matter then that you know, like you say, if, if someone is given away thirty five pounds, that can be a big disadvantage for them,
1: yeah, sometimes yeah it it definitely depends how you fight too, but usually, I'm fighting like girls that are way taller than me, and uh And you're five eleven yeah, <laughs> whoa, how tall do they get? China is six four. Great Britain is six one. Poland is around six foot two. yeah, there there's some tall people in there. and there's also shorter people. It just really depends how um, you fight and how well you're you can adapt to those kinds of people.
4: Can you explain what is the difference in terms of how different people fight? Like how would you fight and what would look different from, say the six four fighter or somebody shorter?
1: There's a lot more movement from the shorter fighter, I think, because they have such long leg length that uh, the shorter fighter has to try to get into that leg leg without getting hit and uh, score themselves.
4: Okay.
3: Do shorter people, like, as a, a technique to, like, get close so then the taller person can't really move their legs?
1: Yeah. It's, Is, it's, it's, it's like call, a distance thing? Yeah, we call it a clinch. And okay. you work in the clinch and, yeah, you score in there, too.
4: So I've got to ask, too, based on some of the pictures that I've seen of of you and others, were you always that flexible or do you develop that flexibility over time?
1: Um, I I think I was naturally a flexible person, but I think others have worked and worked to get their flexibility.
4: Yeah, I, it's it, it seems like there are times when you are able to, for example, land a head kick when you're very, very close to somebody or at least in my mind. Yeah. How hard is that?
1: Um, I don't know. I
3: just, I kind of But you try it, Ben. I can tell you how hard it is. It's going to be impossible. Like, and you're not trying it on me. So.
4: But I'm a big stiff galumpy person, right? So, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it seems like you have to spend a lot of effort and sort of time gauging that right or or measuring up somebody
1: yeah we, yeah i practice that a whole bunch it's one of my strengths i guess uh when we go into like individual work
4: okay
3: and how much time do you spend like stretching a day or what kind of flexibility exercises do you do to maintain your flexibility
1: right now my i do a lot of hip stretches because you're you're holding your leg up the entire time uh, for a, a, quite a while, actually, um, and you're just building all that strength in your hips, and they just get really tight. So I'm stretching my hips right now, and then uh, my hamstrings—they're tight, but I mean, I don't—I don't think I use them as much as my hips because it's a whole—that's a lot of strength from your hips rather than your hamstrings.
3: Okay, so like really, when you're moving, you're like opening up your hips to make the kick go. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Are people right-legged or left-legged, like they're right-handed or left-handed?
1: Yeah. There's people that will fight in only left stance or right stance. Okay. And what about you? I find myself fighting more so in left stance, which is weird because I'm right-handed. Okay. But uh, I guess it's from punching and um, my back leg is uh, strong, so I do that. But usually I, I switch in between rounds sometimes if I feel like it's going to better help me uh, win that match.
4: So how much of the sport is deception then?
1: Deception as in, like, fake one way and go the other? You Fake
4: one way or the other or, or, you know, making them think that you're right-legged or left-legged and then kind of switching it up or something like that?
1: In my experience, I don't think there's a whole lot of deception in Taekwondo. I think there's you fight that way and you, you're that good in that way, and you can't be beat.
4: Then what do you think the most decisive factors are in terms of who's going to fight well in a weight?
1: I think it's, it's uh, how well you put yourself in situations in training, how well you're gonna actually think about you in that match, in that weight category. It's okay. like put yourself in a fighting situation already in training, rather than going and just doing it while you're fighting.
4: So, do you occasionally have to go out and like find somebody who's six foot four and bring them into practice with if you're practicing for specific opponents?
1: Yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, you definitely have to figure out how you can mimic that certain person if you're going to fight that certain person. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, usually fight with the guys and because there's not a lot of girls that are six four and here in the United States doing (laughs) so yeah I usually fight the lighter weight males because they're bigger and uh,
4: taller and do you do you get to know the people on sort of in your weight class on the circuit are there certain people that you see all the time and and do you become sort of frenemies with them or is there intense rivalries
1: well, i mean i don't i don't really talk to my competitors because i don't really want to but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah there's definitely people out there um will like kind of their competitors and be all friendly and friendly with them and i just i just don't see how that could really help me i guess
4: <laughs> right right
1: how i could do that
3: i have a question about how the sport works that i forgot to ask what are some of the penalties in
1: the sport? Like what can't you do? Um, you can't hop. So, you know how you can hop on one leg. Mm-hmm. You can't do that for more than three seconds. You can't hold your leg up for more than three seconds because then that's just kind of, they changed that because of the, it just became boring. Um, cause people would just hold up their leg. The taller player would just hold up their leg and the person that they're fighting may be shorter. Um, and they couldn't get in and show the action of taekwondo. And then there's you can't leg block, you can't punch the face, of course. You can't leg, you can't kick to the legs, you can't hold, um, and you can't step out of balance. And
4: and it when doesn't. you say leg block, do you mean you can't block your opponent's leg, or you can't use your leg to block an attack?
1: I can't use my leg to intentionally block an attack. Okay. Yeah, you have to look like you're actually trying to kick while they're kicking, I guess. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well, you talked about old Taekwondo and new Taekwondo. When did the change happen, and what's new about new Taekwondo?
1: They're always changing it. Like, they just changed clinch rules. Like, you can't be in the clinch for more than two seconds, or more than, yeah, two seconds, I guess.
3: Wait, so, Um, wait, uh, we'll get back to the... Are you really counting... Like, if you're holding somebody and you're like, oh, I'm in a clinch, do you really... Can you really sit there and count one, two, and get out of it in time, or no?
1: I mean, referees are trained for that. Like, once, you, once you're once you in the clinch, they separate you, unless you're working. Okay. you're gonna... Yeah.
3: Okay. All right, so what else is new about New Taekwondo?
1: Hey, what was the question? Uh, uh, new Taekwondo
3: broke. versus Old Taekwondo.
1: Oh, um, new New Taekwondo is just... Like I said, I think you were getting at it earlier, thought it was more about speed rather than knockout. Because if you try to knock out somebody, it takes more effort and more strength rather than just flicking it to the face and scoring three points. Um, And then old Taekwondo is just a lot of beating up rather than strategy and finding points. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, you could see that there's, like, a whole bunch of doubles and stuff in Taekwondo, and Newton old taekwondo and new taekwondo it's a mainly all front leg huh.
4: and did you ever compete in kind of the old taekwondo rules
1: yeah i was the transitioning into like all of those rules and yeah it was definitely i've worked a whole bunch of back legs and everything and then they changed it to where it would be more beneficial for me to work more on my front leg So, yeah, I've been through a lot of changes in
3: time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember what year was a big kind of switch? They
1: switched. When I was turning 14, they switched the age group where you could compete in seniors. So when I was going to turn 14, they changed it to where I would still be in juniors, rather go into seniors. So, yeah. oh
3: man so that kind of changed your whole like ability to compete on a on a bigger world level yeah okay
1: yeah it kept that me from like been,
3: was that how fun was that
1: i mean i was fighting i was still fighting those same people in that way in that um mm-hmm. weight in the division so it was i mean i wanted to move on but i couldn't
3: i have to ask what's it feel like to get kicked in the head Like a real kick in there, kind of a swipe. Well, I'm guessing you
1: get both real kicks and kind of taps and stuff. Yeah. Um, The swipes are annoying because you just, you don't feel it, and you're like, whatever. Um, And then the hard ones are like, oh, all right, let's go then.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And how much does the headgear soften the blow, or does it not?
1: Yeah, it, it picks up how hard you hit it. Like the chest guard, but it doesn't. There's no threshold to hit on the head guard. Right, um, but does it
4: protect you from the? yeah, it does hit pick up how hard you hit the head gear. Okay. Yeah, but does it does it soften the blow? Do you think, or does it just kind of give them more to bounce your head around?
1: <laughs> um, I think it does probably. Okay.
4: How do you cross train?
1: From like uh, lifting and stuff.
4: Yeah, do you do a lot of running or lifting or jump roping or other things?
1: Yeah, I do a lot of lifting since I'm in that heavier weight division and I could gain muscle and whatnot. But others, it's it's going to be difficult for them to cross-train because they can't exceed a certain weight or else they have to cut down harder
4: to get to that weight. Right, okay.
3: What's it like to compete in Asia where the sport is bigger? or Have you competed in Korea?
1: Yeah, I did compete in Korea. I competed um, at Worlds in 2017. Uh, it was in Muju.
3: Oh, man. What's it like competing in the home of Taekwondo versus, like, a meet here in the U.S.?
1: Well, it was definitely huge in Korea. A lot of people came, and a lot of people were for Korea. But yeah, And then in the U.S., it's just maybe a couple thousand people, and they're like, what's this sport? And they don't really know much about it.
3: When you compete, do they give you the chest protector and headgear or do you have to bring your own with you?
1: Yeah, they supply everything. Okay. With that. And yeah, you just wear
3: to, like my... Yeah, what I is it called? My... Your under garment?
1: Well, it's what called the, the
3: the robe and pants.
1: Oh, I just call it a uniform. Some people okay. call it call it a dough, box, but I okay. just call it a uniform.
3: Okay. What does one of those run cost wise?
1: I don't know because I've gotten my free for like a while.
3: Because <laughs> nice. I, I always wonder, like, what, what, what things cost for people? Because some sports are a lot more expensive than others.
1: All oh, the so. sports horribly expensive, I think.
3: Um, really? How? How so?
1: Because so they cha- You know how they always change. They change like the systems too. When I was transitioning into the higher level. So I had to buy, like, new socks for um, the scoring system, and I had to, like, they just come out with different versions, and you have to go buy them to compete, okay. and it's required, and they okay. don't give it, yeah.
3: How how much does a pair of socks cost?
1: Uh They can cost, like, 75 to $90.
3: What? And how many pairs yeah. do you, like, how fast do you go through a pair, or do you, okay, so I have a lot of questions here. Do you have multiple pairs at a time for a whole tournament, or how long? And how long do they last before they? You got to replace them.
1: Uh, My dado socks, so that's the one that will compete in the Olympics. That system. Okay. Um, My dado socks have holes in them, like on the uh, bottom heel and on the yeah, basically on the heel, and that that could make this sensor fall out. So I have to. Probably go fix that sometime soon. And usually I usually go to like a a tailor or something like that and get them stitched back so I don't have to pay for another sock. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I have like maybe six pairs. And some of there some of them are for like um training and then others are for competition.
3: Okay. What what else do you have to buy?
1: Um, I have to buy I actually have a gear sponsor. Oh lucky. Uh, yeah so I get my gear from them. That's all I really have to get really um, okay and then do
3: you have to fund a lot of your travel?
1: I used to not now that I made top ten, so I get paid to do
3: uh, this yay, yeah. right yeah, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then they paid for like big competitions if you made teams, so that's nice,
3: okay. It's always fascinating what what the investment that it's not just the time and like. The devotion that you have to and concentration you have to put into your sport that takes away from other things in life but like the the financial investment as well that's always it's always so fascinating what like it's easy when media people say on tv at the olympics all the sacrifices they make but like you don't really realize what those are dave
1: some of the sacrifices are like not even what you were thinking
3: yeah like like what have you
1: had I don't know. I've definitely missed out on a lot of family time and a lot of, of course, that's typical though, probably for a lot of athletes. But when I was in high school, I missed all these dances. I missed, yeah, I I missed a lot of like, I missed birthdays. I missed all that stuff really.
3: (laughs) But what have you gained from doing your
1: sport at this level? Um, I've gained the discipline to go for long-term goals, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's really cool for people to have a long-term goal that they're striving for and working really hard at. And, and it's, it's going to be like so cool for them when they actually get that goal met.
3: Well, thank you so much for your time. Get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be cheering for you. I mean, it's really we really hope that you can make it to the games, and it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, root you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Madeline. You can follow Madeline on Insta at Mads underscore TKD. That's M-A-D-S underscore TKD. She's not joking about those socks. Man, that stuff is expensive. I know, $90 socks? Yeah, I went and looked up on some Taekwondo suppliers. And yeah, and they're heavy duty. They're like, all your toes are separate in the socks and they have a big sensor on them. So, uh, yeah, it was was pretty crazy. And if she had to buy one of those chest protectors, 500 bucks. (gasps) The headgear, 350. And you would have to have it in both red and blue because you don't know what side you'll be. Wow. So, and I'm sure there's other, there's like transmitter chargers and transmitters, you know, because they're electronic and you have to wire up. The funny thing that I thought when I was listening to, I did not
2: realize how tall these girls were. (gasps) I didn't either. I had no idea. And all I kept thinking of because you know I'm a terrible person was I would just duck and they <laughs> kick over me. But like if I tried to kick them in the head, I would maybe hit their elbow. I was like trying to imagine myself competing in Taekwondo and it was not it was not pretty.
3: When we were talking with her and I was thinking about the flexibility that Taekwondo athletes need, I kept thinking about Jacqueline Simoneau and artistic swimming. And the, the flexibility there too, and how she does the splits all the time. And, and the height. Yes. So it's the same body type almost. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, oh, it's, it's an interesting sport. Like, I'm with you. I don't really want to get kicked in the head. But, you know.
2: But you got a $350 head protector, so you're sure. Yeah. Be okay. su-
3: supposedly. <laughs> Let's move on to our Team Olympic Fever update <clears throat> Tofu our team olympic fever update segment we hear what's going on with our past guests and we're happy that this is sponsored by pincollector.com pin collector is the world's largest free online community for olympic pin collectors and traders it's a great place where you can put your entire collection online and it helps you value it and you can show it off to people and you can arrange to buy and sell and trade with other members The catalog is really enormous and it's updated in real time. So it's great as they release pins for Tokyo 2020, you know, you're going to see them on Pin Collector first. So when you do buy, sell, and trade, the rates are lower than other online platforms. So you should get your collection on pincollector.com. Visit pincollector.com and sign up for free today. I'm excited for we have a holiday weekend next week, so I'm going to be playing with my collection on Pin Collector a little bit. I
2: know, and some of your collection does have some Tokyo 2020 pins.
3: It does. I have Tokyo 2020 pins. One Something I do need to get up there is I have to find, I, can't, I haven't found them since I moved. I have some really cool Coca-Cola Rio pins that have moving parts that I hadn't seen on Pin Collector, so I'm excited to add those to the catalog and show them all.
2: And the official Olympic fever pin is up there.
3: The Yes. Yes. Very excited about that, too. And you can get an official Olympic fever pin by uh, donating to our show. You can do that one of two ways. You can become a Patreon patron. And that is uh, any level of Patreon patron gets a, a pin. And you can visit patreoncom fever for that. Or if you just want to make a one-time donation, go to our website at OldLimFever.com and click on uh, Support and Sponsorship, and you can make a PayPal donation for one time. And if you make a twenty-dollar donation or more, a pin will be sent to you.
2: And you can be so so snazzy with it because it really can, is it's cool. It's
3: So cool! It's the coolest pin. I'm so excited about that. So what have our people been up to? Let's see. Our Bob Sledder, Josh Williamson, he's been competing a little bit right now, and the two-man he's pushing for Cody Bascu, and they got the gold medal at the North American Cup. Nice. Also, you know how we're having all that craziness with the IOC Coordination Commission with the 2020 Olympics? Yes. Well, they formed the IOC Coordination Commission for the 2026 Winter Games in Milan-Cortina, And our very own Keegan Randall is part of that commission. Fantastic. So that's super exciting to see how she will be going into making sure that those games get planned very well. So good for her on that. And we will see her there. Yes, we will see her there. Speaking of winter sports, our Team Olympic Fever hockey referee Jessica LeClerc was featured in a New York Times story about National Hockey League referee combines, which is really cool.
2: Is she trying out to be in NHL?
3: uh, Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's very, very hard because it's much like any kind of professional sport where only like the top 2% of referees get in. But they are now having, and and there haven't been any women referees in the NHL yet. Jessica was one of 11 women who was at this year's Combine, and four of those women went on to work preseason rookie tournaments. So it's not a matter of if women will be officiating in the NHL it's a matter of when and Jessica had mentioned in the article that she didn't know if she would still be officiating when that would happen but she's trying and she's getting in front of the right people so good Good for for you it was it was so exciting to see like it's really she is the lead on that story just like I I opened it up because I'm like oh what's going on with hockey referees and like hey I know her that was very cool so biggest news of all this
2: week yes so exciting we have a new member of Team Olympic Fever. Yay! So superfan Sarah and her husband Nick, welcome to son Wilson James on November 13th. And mom and baby are home and doing well and looking
3: just fantastic. I know. He's adorable. Big brother Theo. It a was, res- okay, it's so cute because Theo is bigger than Wilson and Theo's a tiny dog. But <laughs> the day will come and it won't take too long until all that baby is bigger than the doggy.
2: So they, uh, Sarah had posted some pictures of they're going for their first walks together and Theo has been guarding him.
3: That's adorable, you, so, I, that, yeah. you know, you can't hope for more than that when you have a pet and a baby together.
2: So our unofficial mascot, Theodore, has been doing his big brother duties to our new team Olympic favorite member. So congratulations to Sarah and Nick, we're exactly, very excited exactly. for you.
3: Exactly. I'm hoping Wilson will soon be sporting in Olympic fever onesie because you know where you can get that? Our merch store. Yes. And our merch store will be on sale next week for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Everything will be up to 35% off. So you can click on the merch link at com or go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Fever. We've got some cool new things up there. Yes. While you're getting stuff for holiday shopping, don't forget to get our latest book club book. Go to com and you click on the book club link. If you purchase your books through the link, it'll take you to Amazon and they'll give us a little commission, which greatly supports the show. Uh, moving on to our Tokyo 2020 update. So Jill, is there any updates on the men's marathon? <laughs> Well, it's all marathons. Oh my gosh. Oh, the saga gets better. So, this is now, you, you know, like we've talked about how it's akin to a telenovela, the the Latin soap operas. So, we're just calling this the marinovella in my mind. So, the latest update is that, oh gosh, there's so many updates. But one of the race walkers uh, wrote an article on Inside the Games. This is Evan Dunphy. And he wrote how it was so hypocritical of the IOC to move the, the uh, marathon and the race walks because he, he's claiming that the, the IOC doesn't care about athlete welfare. They just don't want to get the bad press because everybody's going to talk about the heat. Well, you know, everybody started talking about the heat in Tokyo like over a year beforehand. So moving this one event's not going to happen.
2: Right. And and Dunphy was specifically referencing the open water swimming right, as not being moved, even though at that test event, all the athletes were complaining about the heat of the water. Right. And how if you're really talking about athlete safety, it's much more difficult to regulate body temperature if the water's too hot than for a marathon runner to be prepared for running in heat.
3: Right. same And same thing with the triathlon, because they also had to deal with an open water swim. Uh, so... That was a bit of fun news. We will have a link to that article in the show notes.
2: And then t got really cranky about all of this. <laughs> and start, this really upset me. So where is
3: this from? Uh, the San Diego Union Tribune, but it's an AP story, Associated Press story.
2: Okay. So t is complaining that the reason that athletes are complaining that the marathon was moved because they're good heat runners. So they wanted a competitive edge. Which is crazy. That is wrong on so many levels because, number one, t Bach, did you not forget that the Olympics was a competition? <laughs> and the point is to compete against other people, and, of course, you're looking for a competitive edge, and nothing about that is wrong. And, yes, some people are better heat runners. Some people are better humidity runners. Some people are better in
3: the cooler. I mean, That's just... Right, and... and- athletes go places to train. I mean, how many long distance runners go to Africa to train in those conditions? Right. And I mean, just here in the United in hills, States,
2: they're all up in the, the, in the mountains. mountains in Arizona, so yes. that it's hot and dry and the air is thin. Yes. So, so- this this really bothered me because it felt like t was just being a bit of a petulant toddler and right. saying, I don't want to hear anybody complain about our completely irrational decision that we just sprung on everybody it's because you just want to cheat
3: right but they the organizers are still working on the course and it's likely to be a looped course meaning the athletes will do a couple laps of the same path and it will likely start at odori park and they're working on that but the final plans won't be set until the ioc executive board meets at the beginning of december so that's when they'll present their plan and the executive board will say yes or no. The organizers would like to change the date of the men's marathon to get it off of the closing day of the games because, as we've talked about before, the issues with getting people down to the closing ceremonies in time because that medal is usually given out during the closing ceremonies. But the IOC and, and our buddy Jay Coates... He does not want that to change. So he is, says, no, 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 you can't change the date. Fly them all down.
2: Because we're so concerned about the health and well-being of the athletes. We're going to take them all after they've run this marathon, mm-hmm. huddle them in an airplane and shoot them down to Tokyo because that's a great way to do recovery after a marathon.
3: It's just crazy. And then I was thinking when when I looked at the the fact, because we had talked about, Maybe having them at the same time, the women's and the men's marathon at the same time or on the same day, even if it was a couple hours later, because the way the schedule is, it is two weekends in a row that the city has to stage a marathon. And to ask a brand new city to do that and tie up how much traffic and inconvenience the residents for two weekends in a row is, is kind of hard to do.
2: The IOC is really being a petulant toddler with this whole situation. Right. It's very upsetting. It's upsetting. To- but- I think Tokyo has been pretty good in its planning process and hitting its deadlines and making the pro Yeah, the budget is ridiculous. So we'll just ignore that because they're all ridiculous. Yeah. With the budget. And then to throw this in. And now that's all we're talking about. And it's probably all the poor planners are trying to manage and now Sapporo's like oh yeah let's put on a show let's go out in the garage and throw a Olympic marathon handled so poorly I hope it all works out I am confident the athletes will get a good marathon
4: mm-hmm.
2: because that seems to be one thing that everybody is committed to but all this other stuff is just a nightmare and I right. feel bad for the and, athletes
3: and honestly I think the the various governments within uh, Japan that have had to deal with this decision and the organizers have been pretty diplomatic, even though they've gotten their digs in, which I do love because they're making a point, but they have been very diplomatic in how this, how they've been forced to handle this. And you've got people up in Sapporo rolling up their sleeves and going, okay, I guess we're going to do a marathon now. We're going to make this happen. And it's going to be nice, but the whole situation, you're right. Ugh.
2: John Coates, going rogue, okay. causing trouble.
3: Right? Ah, so if you subscribe to our weekly newsletter, you will get updates to the latest on the saga. Because you know what happens is we tape the episode, we release the episode, and the same day we release the episode, something new always comes out.
2: I mean, with this, it's every day. I know.
3: I know. If you want to stay up to date, especially when they have this uh, board meeting on December 3rd through 5th, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at oldandfever.com. You'll see a pop-up box and definitely- And our beautiful faces. Yeah. (laughs) Our beautiful faces pop up. So if you've ever wondered what we look like, go there, sign up for the newsletter and you'll see. So yeah, you get the latest on Tuesdays because that's when the newsletter comes up. Speaking of being on time with facilities, the stadium is done. The stadium is all done. It's awaiting its final safety checks, which should happen soon. And they've got a a soccer match scheduled for the 21st of December. Nice. Take that, IOC. In other Tokyo 2020 news, spectators will now be allowed to bring in one bottle of non-alcoholic beverages to the venues so that they can stay hydrated in the heat and humidity that will be going on during Tokyo. So that's a nice concession I'm sure everyone's going to get a refillable water bottle and have it, and then they just refill it there.
2: Right. So at London and Rio, spectators were not allowed to bring in any bottles because there was a safety concern. Right. I guess they thought it would become a projectile or or whatever. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, there's the risk of when you've got a bottle, are they going to smell every bottle and make sure that it's non-alcoholic? Maybe. I mean, so this could be, I wonder if this bringing a bottle, which should be allowed, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, it's going to be so hot. If it's going to even further delay the check-in process as part of the screening,
3: hey, that's a good question. I wonder if, how much they will check and see what's happening. I wonder if we'll get further instructions on, oh, you can't have it can't be opened already or something like that, because then maybe right, that will make it a- clear.
2: A refillable bottle. It has to be a sealed, commercially purchased bottle.
3: Right. But you could just purchase it at a vending machine on the street right before you get in so it's nice and cold. That's a good question. So we'll see what happens with that. That was the Kyoto News reported that. And then this week, Airbnb has signed up to be an official Olympic sponsor. Which is so odd to me. You're going to be staying on Dan's couch When you go to the Olympics. I mean, like part of the thing that they were talking about, and this has been in all all over the news, how it's going to improve access to accommodations. Well, it's not like Airbnb is doing something magical because people have always rented out their homes for Olympics. The problem with accommodations is that they're too expensive. Right. It's
2: purely old school supply and demand.
3: Right. Right. So I don't know if people are, if they're going to say, oh, now we've taken the supply way, way up, and the prices will fall. But how many people, I mean, their supply is only based on how many people are willing to rent out their places. So. I'll go
2: stay on Dan's couch.
3: <laughs> so the funny thing is that uh, Inside the Games reported that the mayor of Paris is not happy about this because the the Airbnb partnership is going to cover all of the Olympics till 2028, so that includes oh. 2024. Yeah, it's going all the way through. Oh, and so this is a
2: long term. This is this, not this is just a long
3: term deal. So the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, was not happy about this because the city of Paris is having issues with Airbnb people buying apartments to rent them out on Airbnb and make money. And that makes rents go higher for the residents. And this is an issue all over the world. Different cities are having really real problems with Airbnb because people are using it as a moneymaker for themselves. And I just heard a report on
2: NPR this week that Paris is the most expensive rental market in all of Europe. Wow. So her concern obviously is is absolutely valid.
3: Right. We'll see how this goes, because I'm sure, well, the IOC is probably happy to have the money, let's be honest. But also, maybe they think this is a way they can solve this ongoing issue of accommodation. And I'm not I'm not convinced.
0: We'll have to see how it works. And
2: right. I think Tokyo is a good test market in a way, because yes, it does have a lot of hotel rooms, but not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. And it's a tight housing market to begin with. So I don't think people could really be buying too many apartments to just rent to just rent out on Airbnb. So it's really people who are using their own apartments to rent out. So I think it'll be an interesting test to see how this all works out in terms of both cost and availability. I mean, are people having to stay very very far out, which is always the concern.
3: It'll be interesting because also Tokyo had Tokyo was having issues with Airbnb renters anyway. The problem with Airbnb in Japan has been that the country enacted new regulations. So if you're a host, you have to register and you have to have a license to list on Airbnb. And so there were a lot of cancellations of bookings for non-registered accommodations. So the Forbes is reporting that the company has since rebounded and they claim to have 50,000 listings in the country and they have like 23,000 rooms in traditional inns. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know that on the Tokyo Planning Facebook group, a lot of people had issues like they started booking around the year to go mark and they would get something that was really reasonable and then the Airbnb host would cancel on them and then relist the property for more money because, oh, hey you wanna come for the Olympics, we're gonna charge you an arm and a leg. I mean, that's the deal with the host host accommodations. So it's we're back to the beginning of that circle.
2: Right, it'll be interesting to see if the IOC, if part of that deal has, to, if there's price controls.
3: Right, the other part of the Airbnb deal with the IOC is that Airbnb now has experiences on their website so you can sign up to take a tour of someplace Or do something funky in a city, Uh, like Ben went to LA and he and a buddy went and did some kind of archery thing for a couple hours. Well, Olympians will be able to post experiences on the website and maybe make some money on the side.
2: You mean while the Olympics are going on? I don't, I think just in general.
0: I'm not sure how that's going to
3: stake out, but, but like they want to be able to offer Olympian experiences so people can get an experience with an Olympian, whatever that may be. And an Olympian can maybe make a little bit of extra money.
2: Interesting. Oh, we'll have to check that out and see what those actually look like.
3: Right. Right. Well, clearly
2: someone has to take us swimming in the Munich pool.
3: (laughs) There's an experience possibility there. Definitely. Oh, mark your calendars. This is not Tokyo news, but mark your calendars for December 9, because that's when the World Anti-Doping Agency's executive committee is going to meet, and they will consider a ban on Russia again. Wow. That was noted in The Guardian. We'll put an a uh, link to this article in the show notes, because the whole doping situation with Russia has been very complicated and convoluted since it was found that Rusada had maybe may have been tampering with other samples. So it's just one of those where you shake your head and go, how did this go
2: on for so long? Right,
3: right. So they will meet and there may be another country band similar to what happened in Pyeongchang and what happened with the track and field athletes for Rio.
2: We will see. Wow. I mean, so now we're in the third Olympic cycle with us and it's still not no nowhere, nowhere,
3: nowhere yeah wow it's amazing ah oh, so that'll wrap it up for this week let us know what you thought of taekwondo email us at
2: olimfever at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 53070 fever we're olimfever on twitter and insta and olympic fever podcast group on facebook
3: thanks so much for listening and until next time keep the flame alive
0: was that? Do, 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 do.